Hey everybody, we're stoked to have you back for another episode of the Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Mike Levy and I've got Mr. Henry Quinney with me today because today is for the World Cup and racing fans out there because we're sitting down with Continental Atherton team riders Andreas Kolb and Charlie Hatton. Now this is easily the most international episode we've ever done, I think. We're in BC, British Columbia and Canada, but Henry, you just got back from South America. Uh, Charlie, where in the world are you? Um, I'm in the UK, uh, in the Shrewsbury area. So, yeah, that's where I am. And what about yourself, Andy? Uh, I'm in California right, right now in Lake Tahoe, visiting some friends and, yeah, just having a good time. Oh, nice. That is probably a nice place to be this time of the year. You're riding bikes a shit ton, I imagine? Uh, actually, not too much. I was riding uh, in a bit more south of Tahoe, like one hour away. I think it's cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I should not say it. I think it's a secret spot. Um, <laughs> the exact right directions, the map coordinates. Stuff, so, yeah, more skiing now, more winter activity. Yeah. Yeah. And for you guys, just, you know, you go, maybe you go to somewhere like Lake Tahoe and you're not that focused on riding or living in the UK. How much are you focused on getting fitter and how much are you focused on getting technically better in the off season? Is that something you worry about or are you just trying to get your eye on for next year in terms of fitness? Um, I'd say for me, I think after that season we've had, I just pretty much down the tools for, well, it's got to be a couple of months now. Um, just to completely reset body, mind, everything. So yeah, been chilling. And then since two weeks ago, started training, training, um, training again. So yeah, that's it's, now. it's funny here how many like, Amateur shitboxes like me think that if we stop riding bikes for like 10 days, we'll lose everything and yeah. we'll never be able to ride again. And then you talk yeah, to actual exactly. pros and they're like, yeah, I, I don't <laughs> ride for six months at a time and it's all good. Well, it's, no. I think that's like a legit, sort of a legit, legit question though as well too. Not to bring up F1 yet again in another <laughs> podcast, but some of those guys, some of the best in the world, they would, they would have a, a session before the season started. Mm. They haven't driven for months just to remind themselves that they can do it. Just to be like, oh shit, I can still do that. Yeah. After all that time off, Charlie, Yeah. when you get back to it, are you like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's like a good way of staying like excited and keen to ride as well. Like I think if I just kept riding the whole time, like I'd obviously still enjoy it because I, I love riding bikes, but I think it's good to have just that little bit of time in like now I'm riding this week. First time back on my downhill bike, so yeah, I'm really excited to go, and I think it would be it'd be pretty sick. Yeah, how long does it take for you to get back up to like full commitment on a DH bike? Um, I'd say to feel comfortable, probably I don't know, probably a couple of days. You feel yeah. feel pretty good, and then obviously to get to race speed takes takes a bit more time but yeah just to feel comfy on the bike i'd say yeah yeah maybe a few days just working your way up and chilling into mm-hmm. it what about yourself andy you said you're not riding that much you're skiing and doing some other stuff right now when it is time to get back on the bike is that something that you're like sort of nervous about like regardless of being so good are you getting nervous when you get back on after so much time <laughs> off no i would not say nervous but yeah it's pretty much the same with like charlie I always take a bit of time off of the downhill bike to stay excited. When you jump back on it, it's just way more fun again, especially after a season like this year. 
it felt really long with loads in when did it start end of march the last race was hardline for us so it was quite a long season and i think on the end you a bit over it not not over it but it's good when you get a bit of a break and do something else and then you're really excited when you jump back on it and yeah it doesn't take too long to get back onto good speed but finding the race speed again is always like hard to find after after a season i think and will mm-hmm. take some time i think i never really get like the fast speed before february or something what uh just before we move on you mentioned both of you mentioned that race speed um we're going to talk about the year as a whole in a few minutes but i just wanted to dig into that tidbit that you guys said there what exactly brings that race speed is it, is it just time on the bike or is it something else that's that's a lot of factors i would say for me i think the biggest part is mental health like when you when you don't feel comfortable or there's something going on like beside of mountain biking that you you don't feel free or whatever um i just can't go fast in and everything else like time on the bike time in the gym cardio everything i think pretty much 99% of the world cup races uh on a really high level it comes down to mental mental health i would say mm-hmm. yeah it's funny isn't it because as a professional athlete you might be a bicycle rider for say 2 hours a day but you're a human for the other 22 <laughs> and you got to maintain it don't tell anybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny there's a guy called Graham Potter in football and uh he basically took this like fifth tier swedish football team to the I think to the Europa League which is the second tier of European football by basically picking up people that like dropped off the radar at like an under 17 level and just who were technically very good who clearly just didn't have something else established and he just worked basically just <laughs> made them happier people and they ended up getting just back to back to back to back promotions and maybe this kind of miserable person that I am is what's with holding me what's what's your excuse <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it turns out you meant to enjoy riding. I'm just fucking bitching and moaning all the time. I know, not taking any days off because it will start <laughs> yeah. sucking. Meanwhile, it's these like World Cup racers don't off. touch their bikes for like, months. I've on ridden end. for 600 consecutive days. <laughs> Why do I suck? Anyways, Charlie, what about yourself? Are there some ingredients that you can pinpoint? Yeah, I definitely agree with what Henry just said. Um, like about being happy and riding fast and i think some of the success i think for me and andy this year well speaking for myself i think having like a good time this is mm. i know it sounds simple but i think that and then there's probably 30 other factors that come in um because yeah you it's just all there's so many little boxes to tick and yeah when it all comes together i guess that's when it when it goes good um yeah about finding speed like the race speed on the bike again it's certainly things like all the training you've done for months and again mental health and yeah there's so many factors to go into it and feeling confident on the bikes massive massive thing so yeah i'd say that is the big one i think it was a few years ago now back in 2017 when you're on that intense saddleback so quite quite a small uk led program i think you had that Yeah. Maybe your breakout result in Fort William, I think was a top 20 maybe. Um, um yeah, yeah. Yeah. That seemed like a really good team culture and it seemed to punch way above its weight. 
How much do you think just a good team environment like that from a small kind of um, efficient team, if you see what I mean, how much do you think that compares when you stepped up to a, a, a bigger factory team? Was it a bit intimidating kind of going into a, a bigger, maybe more pressurized racing culture? Yeah, definitely. I think the atmosphere at Saddleback um, was brilliant. Um, obviously, I was teammates with Joe Breeden, which is, yeah, one of my best friends. So I guess when you're racing around the world, but your best friend is, is pretty sick. Um, and also, we had Andy Lund as the mechanic. So the three of us travel around the world. It was yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I definitely did feel pressure, but not from the team's point. It was more from my own like side. I thought, right big truck they've put a lot of like stuff into this i need to do my best but i guess there's only pressure i've put myself but um no nah, not now i'm not so much but yeah i think end of the day you just gotta ride your bike so <laughs> simple as that this week's pink bike podcast is presented by the pros closet the off season is the perfect time to stock up for spring Shop a wide selection of parts and apparel and a curated catalog of new and certified pre-owned bikes. The Pros Closet offers top brand and niche mountain, road, gravel, and e-bikes inspected by an in-house team of experienced mechanics. Visit theprosclosetcom pinkbike for the year's best deals. And while you're there, enter code PBPODCAST to save $40 on your next purchase over 200. Andy, coming back to you, you were riding for Gamex before and you signed for Continental Atherton in, in 2021. And before that, when you were on Gamex, you were going pretty quick. You were going fast, <laughs> racing World <laughs> Cups and going fast fuck. But then you got a hell of a lot faster, but also more consistent. Um, so how did you go from like, how did you go from top 20s to top fives. I know it's not as easy as like just going faster. <laughs> like what, what, what sort of work did you put in? Did something change in your personal life or in your training? What went into the season that was so good? Um, I will try to make that short. I think there's so many factors which um, coming down to this point. The biggest factor is for sure the team, I think before like on, on the other teams I've been before when I was still working and then I was on Gamworks, it was only racing what I really enjoyed, like going to a race. And mm -hmm. everything else beside racing was like, yeah, it's just like get to a race really late and leave as early as possible to save money and stuff like this. And now I nearly enjoy more stuff like meeting up with Charlie and all the boys and then do something before the race, have fun. Then the race, I mean, it's for sure the highlight and then there's the party afterwards or on the next day we do stuff again so it's like the whole week with the boys is just so much fun and i think that comes down to mental health again and just enjoying it and i think privately i changed my train at home i think i do nearly less training than before i was like training a bit too aggressive before and just injured myself every season and was a bit like overtrained, I think. And another big point is for sure my mental trainer. That helped me a lot. There's like so many points I could talk now, but yeah, the mental training was for me the, the biggest part for sure too. 
So it sounds like train less, ride your bike less. This is how you get. Um, this, is how you, this, this is what we're doing wrong, maybe. <laughs> I'm doing more wrong than that, boys. Trust me. <laughs> well, I think for me, it was more like um, gym stuff. I was training too much, like CrossFit stuff. And just, yeah, I thought I need to do intervals every day and stuff like this. Just like broke myself. You yeah. only do them once a day? I do them twice a day. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's I'm, nice. I, I'm not surprised to hear that CrossFit was a root of a lot of your problems. Yeah. I don't trust those guys, man. You know, I am surprised to hear you say though. Like, I I could have easily expected you to say like, just more commitment, let go of the brakes, mm. lifting heavier weights, and instead you said mental health and fun. That's, yeah, I don't. I think that's pretty cool. But you do see so much of that around the pits and. Maybe it's not for me to say, but it feels like in mountain biking, we have this really strange, I don't know, you look at like other sports and they have like pretty much the concept of money ball and everything is so dialed, the data, it's so data driven. But in mountain biking, we have so many riders that are just waiting for their breakout season. And assuming you do have a good bike and you're reasonably fit, like actually being happy in yourself is going to be such a... Such an important factor, you know. Do you want to try that one day? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay, Andy. Speaking of fun, I want I want to go back to Valdesol. You're the fastest qualifier. You're the last guy in that start hut at the top of that freaking track. Are you having fun right there? Like, take me take me into Andy's head. What what out of ten? What is the nervous level? Or do you have maybe some sort of routine that you go through in the start hut, like a preparation? What what's going on? Yeah, going back to Valisol is something really special for this season, I think. And I think Charlie can agree. He saw me there, how nervous I've been the whole the whole day on Sunday it was. Or yeah. was it Saturday? <laughs> Saturday. Um, yeah, I won time practice. I was like, I wanted to win it. I, got, I went into the weekend. I was like, I want to win time practice. Like, go in a high pace from, like, straight away. And I was, like, really stoked on that. And then I won qualities. And I was like, oh, God. I gotta go last one. <laughs> like I mean, you must have been happy, but at the same time you must have been like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> it was just mixed emotions. I woke up on race day and I nearly started crying in the morning. I was like, "Today could be the sickest day of my life, where I just mess up everything. I, I have no idea what will happen." And yeah. practice was actually quite good, and I feel really comfortable. But as soon as I came up to, like warm up and everything it was just yeah my head was not in a good position i was thinking about what could happen today could be the day where i win my first world cup and yeah just mm -hmm. stuff you should not think about like not being in the, mo in the moment and i ended up like not even warming up nicely because my brain was just switching around and my heart rate was so high anyway so I couldn't do my warm-up like I normally do it. And yeah, I was just nervous till like 10 minutes before my race went. But luckily I switched my mindset around and remind myself all about it. I wanna, or like, it's all about just having fun. That's why I do this. And I went into the cycle with a big smile on my face and just enjoyed it. But yeah, not too happy with the race run ahead then. I still, still switched a bit around with my mindset, like thinking about stuff I should not, should not think about when I'm riding. 
like I could hear the crowd at the last split, and I was like, oh, maybe I'm leading or maybe not. So, yeah. Was mental tough day for me, but then it good. It's funny. Second place is definitely not bad, and Charlie in seventh. That was definitely the sickest day of the season, I would say. And it's funny how I feel like some races are all about, like you see, like Amory Piron in the start, and he's like shaking with adrenaline. And other people, I remember working with Mick Hanna, and he was always so calm and just people handle nerves in different ways. Yeah. Do you are you? And for both of you, do you kind of want to rise to the boil or do you think you actually want to be kind of calmly confident and kind of more enjoying it and present? Uh, I think for me, it's both. I like try to hype myself up when I do the warm up, but the last 10 minutes before my race run, I like calm myself down again. So your body is, is like warmed up perfectly, but your mindset is calm. And I think my riding is also more clean and calm riding. Forget too aggressive. I yeah, just end up doing mistakes and crashing. Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, if I go turbo and hype at the top, I crash first corner. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> I, it's happened quite a few times now. And I think I still haven't found the perfect balance between like getting enough adrenaline, enough hype and being too calm and collected. Um, I think that's something I've still yet to find, which is pretty cool. There's still something else I need to work on um, on that side of it. But yeah, I think my fastest race runs have probably looked the slowest from an outsider's point of view because it's just like really smooth, nice. And I've had race runs where I've been bouncing my bars like off my chin and all sorts, just getting absolutely wild. It's And this just doesn't work for me. So yeah, I think finding... The balance in between the two is, um, yeah, somewhere I need to be in the start gate, I think. Yeah. It took me 25 years of riding to learn that. Like, I used to go to races, didn't matter what discipline, and I would listen to, like, something like Slayer really loud. And, like, it turns out I am literally the last person who needs to get pumped up for anything. You know, like, I need to be relaxed. And it, it's just so cool to hear both of you guys talk about like lessons that you're learning along the way of racing and and things that you know you still need to work on. Like Andy, it sounds like you learned a bunch from that Valdesol weekend. Like obviously you're happy with second, obviously you wanted to win, but you came away with a bunch of lessons for next year. For sure, yeah, for sure. But yeah, not I can't say I was happy with, with the second place. I, I still don't know really. Sometimes I'm like, well, yeah. second is so sick. And then I'm like, still second place. It's like, yeah, first first guy losing. <laughs> but Verdi yeah. was on another level on that day. So it's like, I can't complain about it. If I would be second with zero two back or something, I would be angry about myself or something for sure. But three seconds is a big margin. It's funny though, hey, because if two years ago somebody said, you're going to get second at Val de Sol, you'd have been the handoff, you know? Yeah, I just, when I think I came into the season this year, my goal was one podium. That was like the biggest goal for me this year. And now I ended up with five podiums and the world podium. So a bit more than Heck I yes. wanted to do. And I remember talking to Bruni last year in Snowshoe. He got second, like really close behind Reese Wilson, the first race. And I was just like saying congrats to him. And he was 
yeah, he's not happy. I got second. And I was next to him. I think I got 28 for something. I was like, dude, how can you <laughs> complain? Dude. <laughs> how can you complain about a second place? I like, I was like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> and, yeah. Now I, now I can feel it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about bikes and some tech stuff because you guys have been riding some pretty interesting things. Um, Charlie, starting with you, what's it been like to be part of the development of these things? Yeah, it's been insane. I've learned so, so much. Like, obviously, as a rider, I've come on, but my, like, knowledge about bikes has just grown massively because before I came mm -hmm. into the team, honestly, I would just run pretty much anything. I wouldn't have a clue about my setup, sizing. It was all just over my head, really. And then since being on the team over the last four years, well, yeah, four years, it'll be, I just learned so much. And now I could pretty much tell you every millimeter on my bike, which is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. What about yourself, Andy? What's that been like for you? Yeah, I think our team is next level when it comes to this and the bikes are, are really special. But I think Charlie definitely did more when it comes to development uh, of the bike and tires than I did. When I joined the team in 21, I literally jumped on a bike which was already capable to do something really good. And yeah, but I think we're still still progressing. We got a few plans for next year and it's definitely cool to work on a bike and make it better and better and better. Yeah. I'm always interested in hearing about what different bikes ride like especially different designs from a world cup racers perspective so comparing the gamex to the atherton they're obviously they could they almost couldn't be more different you know <laughs> uh, yeah you, what, can, you can't compare it at all i think yeah it feels like the atherton you guys just looked at an iron horse and thought fuck it 29 wheels and make it a carbon <laughs> <laughs> yeah we do uh, get that maybe, <laughs> yeah <laughs> Maybe Andy, you could talk to uh, some of the strengths of each bike. I'm sure the Gamex had some some ups, some pros and cons, and I'm sure the Atherton has some some pros pros and cons as well. Um, it's hard to say. I think the Gamex. It was an average bike. I would say it was nothing like it was good in. It wasn't good in something specific. Like let's say it was good in really rough stuff or it was good on high speed it was okay in everything so it was like there was no situation where i thought okay that bike is like really bad here so yeah i think it was just average well-rounded good in a lot of places struggled to hold my lines on, on like off-camber stuff but we changed it pretty pretty early and like the bikes how they are right now they have way more flex than they had on the beginning and yeah, now the bike is like for me from the flex and everything, it's really good. And the way it carries speed out of like tight corners when you like there were a few corners in Valdisol, for example, at the last steep section where it's like a big hit on the end, the bike like moves forward so quick and you like need you need to hold on because it's like going forward all the time. I think that's the biggest strength of the bike. And also like rough sections, it works so smooth. It's 
insane sometimes. I think you can see it on the video or on live stream how good the bike works. But it's funny hey, how for years, it feels like for as long as there's been carbon bikes, there's been talk of tunability and mm. comfort and all this sort of stuff. And actually, it feels like maybe in the, only in the last couple of years has compliance actually risen up the pecking order priorities when it felt, at least in the way that bike, bikes are marketed, that everything had to be as stiff as possible every year, 15% stiffer. Yeah. Some of my most favorite bikes have been ridiculously flexy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a balance, of course, but comfort is such an unglamorous and unexciting word, you know? And flex, it makes it sound, but it's, it's so important. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think you need the middle of both, like stiff and flex. If you get too stiff, it's like maybe too hard to ride and you lose grip. And too flex is just too slow. Mm. I think you need somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Finding the perfect balance, definitely. Charlie, is your frame the same uh, tubing and the same lugs as Andy's? Or do you guys actually run like different frames that flex differently? Um, I think we're both on the same now. But in the past, um, I've been on slightly different tubing um, than Andy. Um, yeah, now I think this season we've both on pretty much exactly the same bikes. Um, but a few things, obviously sizing and yeah, rear end lengths and BB heights are actually quite a lot of things. But <laughs> um, yeah, we're both both pretty much the same on that side. Yeah, I think I'm also a bit steep on the head angle, like half a degree only. But yeah, 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 head quite angle as well. Yeah. Andy, what about for yourself? You made a big move from Olin's to Fox suspension. And I'm sure like the stuff you guys are using at this level, it's probably not going to hold anybody back ever. Um, is there a difference from your perspective in how those two suspension companies are doing things? Mm, yeah, for me, for sure. It's uh, Olin's felt way more planted, I would say, to Fox. But I think it's sometimes it's, it's like holding you back, like being a bit slower. That was my feeling. But I mean, feeling is not doesn't tell the time. And Fox is a bit stiffer. But the faster you go on Fox, the better it gets. So yeah, it's hard to hard to compare the both. And I don't know if there's like the best suspension out there. I think every company is doing quite good stuff these days and everybody's com is progressing every year yeah it's interesting because you do see the Olin's riders it looks like oftentimes they go deep into their stroke more often but it, you actually ride it and it, i know what you mean that like, it does have that kind of that, that planted that planted feel um this year obviously afton's being on continental the pink bike racing team was running continental at well the whole season it felt like at Snowshoe, there was a special feeling that the Conti was the tire to be on. Um, do you think that there was kind of a, a feel-good feeling around that? Like, you know, you kind of had some undermined confidence because we had other teams come up asking if they could have some Conti tires to black out. And that definitely must what, must plant what teams, against... Henry? Oh, I can't remember. My <laughs> oh, mind's yeah, gone I completely blank. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. When I used to work for Polygon, we were the guys that had paint bends and spray spray paint. No one would ever wanted to borrow our parts, but they always wanted to borrow our spray cans. <laughs> <laughs> but Charlie, for, for you in Snowshoe, do you think there was a 
there was a, a good seat planted. You know, no longer was it people wanting Maxis potentially blacked out, but wanting Conti. And let's face it, a couple of years ago, that might not have been the case. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's been such a cool, like, thing for me. Obviously, we was on Continental probably three years ago now. And, uh, yeah, obviously worked over the last three years and the development that's gone into the tyres, the amount of days we've done at Dovey and at various other places. And, yeah, that event was, like, one event that was, like, yes, that's sick. We've actually made such a good tyre. Obviously, Andy on the podium, Bernard on the podium, Broden on the podium. It was, like, yeah. I let the side down a bit, but... Next <laughs> <laughs> um, year. Just because of a crit. Yeah, but... No, I... Um, yeah, that was a, a cool day for sure, and it sort of solidified that the tyres... Yeah. Other nuts, really. <laughs> Charlie, it sounds like you've really enjoyed becoming a more uh, technically interested rider over the last like three or four years. So I imagine having a hand in developing these tires was also super interesting. Um, I kind of want to, can you like take us behind the scenes? Like what is a, an average day testing a set of new downhill tires like that, that aren't being made yet? They're not production. What are you guys doing? How does it, how does it play out? Um, good question. So normally we'd start the day pretty early and um, I always like to stay on the quite a similar track. So, I don't know if you've been to Dovey, but at Dovey there's a track called El Hippo. At the top, it's like fast sweeping burns, and then it's steep and tech, and then there's some like fast rolling jumps at the bottom. So, for me, that is the perfect track to test because it's got a bit of everything on it. Um, and yeah, we'd basically go through the day, trying whatever compounds they tried us. Even sometimes they do like a blind test. They wouldn't tell us what the tire was. So it would almost be like on our feedback, they'd know what works and what doesn't. And then the guys at Conti, they made this mad spreadsheet. It was pretty long. <laughs> so we'd go into so much detail of, um, of, yeah, I can't even remember the bits now, but it all made sense when we was filling out. And then obviously they just interpreted it all really well. And yeah, we've gone from there. Is it is it mostly based on timing or is it based on rider feedback? What how does that play out? So I think the the more factors you have the better. So obviously rider feedback and then also like if we have five different riders there as well, we can all chip in and all say our point. I think that is massive and then also timing is another one. Um yeah, I think as many factors as you can get, the better. Um, so yeah, I think mainly timing, but that doesn't always correlate because if a tire's more, you feel more confident on the tire, you can go faster on it. So yeah, as many factors as you can get, the better, I think. And, you know, when you're developing products, we know that, I'm sure we all know people that are absolutely unbelievably quick, but maybe not that... Uh, in tune with their bike setup or, or Hulk smash in the kind of continental Atherton stable obviously you've got you know G and Rachel as well and Dan is there one person that is kind of the best tester that just is, is more in tune than anyone else um, I'd say everyone everyone's pretty good I think I think Dan Danston he's he's pretty good he does a lot of stuff behind the scenes and yeah because he rides his bike 
a lot. He's on his bike. Well, definitely at the weekend, obviously living in a bike park, you're going to be riding a lot and he knows the tracks to every single rock. So for him just to put something on, he's so familiar with how everything works. I think, um, yeah, he's a, he's a good one. Yeah, I've always wondered with the Athertons where there's like a, a fourth sibling that's just really shit at riding bikes, but they, they keep <laughs> tucked away. In the attic. Yeah, but in case these like harvest <laughs> organs or something, you know, like they're coming useful. Yeah, I mean, obviously they've got that. They're not only got their own bike brand and this, you know, mountain biking sort of like royalty in some ways. They've all done so much, yeah. but they've got this perfect testing facility which must be a really enticing product, like prospect for a brand like Continental or whoever that does want to do some serious testing. Yeah. Uh, Andy, I have a question for you that has nothing to do with bikes. What happened to your Instagram account? I heard that somebody was holding it ransom for money, like they wanted you to pay money. What's going on there? Yeah, that happened last year in Leger. I just got 10,000 followers. Like I was pretty stoked in that last year. And... On the same day, my Instagram got hacked because I didn't have that do how do you call it two factor authentication. Uh, yeah, two factor authentication. Thank you. Yeah, that's the thing that Sorry. I need to do my laptop actually. <laughs> yeah, if you don't have it, like everybody who's listening, do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then I was trying to get it back, and then I got an email from the guy who hacked my account. He said I should transfer five hundred euros onto his Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin account, and then I will get it back. And he was like, yeah, you can trust me. I can send you pictures. And trust that old chestnut. Like, I was, yeah, he was <laughs> like, I'm your best friend here now. Dude, you just hacked my Instagram and now you act like you're my homie. Um, <laughs> there's, this, there's a scene I'm, in Peep Show where he says, ask in a girl's voice. I'm imagining it being like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, so Andy, yeah. you, you restarted your account, it sounds like. Yeah, I restarted it. I was like, I definitely don't pay anybody money for doing something. Yeah, he definitely yeah, clicked on uh, local hot mums, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Charlie, it's only that secret. <laughs> it's a kid stuff like to you. <laughs> nah. So, um, yeah. I didn't want to pay the, him money, so I decided to build a new one and I never sold the old one again. So, yeah. Since we're talking about social media, a couple more questions about that. Um, I'm sure that some pro riders have it in their accounts that they have to make a certain number of like posts and, and things like that. Is that something that is, um, well, I mean, like, do you guys like, do you guys have to make social media posts and do you feel, how do you feel about that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think, yeah, for me, we do have to, but I think it's such a massive part of the sport now and for a sponsor to come in is such a good promotion and it is it is such a good way to advertise and it's just finding the balance between advertising and riding and but yeah i think it is a really good thing it's just you've got to use it use it right yeah yeah and that's why i asked you andy about your account getting hacked because it's it's easy to you know, laugh about this and that about with the social media stuff but like that's also part of your job and when sponsors look at like how many followers you are and how active you are on Instagram and then you have that all taken away from you you have to start over so well yeah I mean I remember at the start of the year with pink bike racing like the, we kind of all sat down obviously all getting to know each other and I just said like um how to put it it's 
it's not the be all and end all, but let's face it, we all know that a large social media following will end up potentially with more money in the writer's pocket, which I think is a good thing. You know, you guys are out there making so much entertainment for all, essentially through racing and it's something that I love to follow. And so we had a chat with the team like, let's just, I don't know how to put it. If you want to like, piggyback off the Pink Bike main account to get you more views and clicks, so then if you want to go for deals in the future, mm-hmm. you know, it is a part of what mountain biking is now. And like you said, I think you can do it in a slightly authentic way that's actually like real whilst promoting the brands and you can do it in a kind of crappy 10 things you won't believe or oh my god you'll never guess Didn't number you just six write one of those articles i write them all the fucking time <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah okay guys um before we before we get out of here i want to know what you guys have going on next we're going into the winter uh what is your plan it sounds like you guys are just starting training charlie let's start with you what's going on um yeah so just flat out on the training side of things now and i try and get a really good block into the new year done and then i feel like we're going hit the new year running really um and then start to add in the bikes the fun stuff um so yeah a lot of riding i think me and andy was talking last week about some potential trips in the new year and things like that and we had a call the other day with everyone from aston bikes um on things we want to try and develop for the bike next year so yeah yeah it's all happening and yeah, excited for next year already, really. What about yourself, yeah, Andy? Pretty much the same like Charlie. Um, so till till New Year, we'll pretty much stay at home when I get home from California, of course, um, and focus on physical training and just easy bike riding, maybe a bit of downhill, but not much. And then when the New Year starts, I will pretty sure go up to the boys to UK wheels and test some new stuff on the bike and i'm pretty sure conti also wants to try something new on the tires like don't know what it is or we don't know what it is but they still want to progress which is sick so yeah i'm really looking forward to get our material even better and yeah plan trips to the south like san remo and portugal maybe Maybe New Zealand this this winter, going to Queenstown, maybe. So yeah, everything a bit unsure nice. right now. I will do like however the weather the weather is coming. I will decide what I'm gonna do. And without you know you don't have to name specifics, but you guys are both on for Continental Atherton next year. Have you heard of any juicy team rumors? Obviously, there's stuff going about with under the Endura, maybe Jesse Melamed going to canyon have you guys heard of any big rumors do you have to say what they are but are there any big ones out there that you've heard of i've personally i've not heard anything i've um yeah i've, al- I've almost distanced it from the last couple of months so yeah i'm uh i've not heard anything really but i'm actually quite excited sure. now like he's hearing little rumors. for the listeners he's smirking <laughs> andy has all the secrets i can tell it's the mustache yeah, that's where he hides them all the guy that hacked his hacked his instagram he knew all the bits gave him some details we gotta send that guy 300 euro he'll tell <laughs> us the team rumors <laughs> but we can just get him to hack people's accounts and tell them us messages oh shit i'm pretty sure that's it's mountain biking it's like we don't even use email. It's all just that's when the big deals go down. Pink bike just. I'll give you three hundred bucks and a melted Twix or ride to us next year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing! <laughs> all right, Andy, uh, Charlie, thanks so much, guys, for taking the time to chat with us and tell us how your off season is going. And 
again, both you guys, it was awesome to see you guys race this year. Um, and we'll be cheering for you next season as well. And everybody listening, all you pinkers, put those comments down below in the comment section of this podcast as always. And we might answer them. We might not, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs>